0: God is looking for us to worship him and to honor him with all that we have. And the second is like this, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And so worship, loving God, ministry is loving others. But Jesus knowing that God's plan does not just include my effort to know him, it includes my effort to help others to know him. And that effort is a requirement as a believer. We are to spread the gospel and to make God known. Senior Pastor George Martin continues his series and today discusses loving God and loving others. Follow along in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 33 and listen as Pastor Martin dives deeper into the message. There is something happening that started over in chapter 11. Now, what you will want to know is that the religious leaders of the day, the Jewish leaders of the day were reeling. They were mad because Jesus had just rolled in triumphantly into Jerusalem to much fanfare, what we would call Palm Sunday, where all of the people began to lay palms down and they shouted Hosanna as he he came in on a donkey. And as he's coming in, the leaders are watching this happen and they are angry. So, as it was customary for Jesus to do, he went into the temple and he goes into the temple. And this scene ensues in chapter 11, verse 27, because now they're so angry, they want to question his authority. So in chapter 27 of the 11th chapter, chapter 11 of chapter 11, verse 27, they begin to question his story. They say, what, what authority do you have that allows you to do all the things you're doing? So then Jesus knowing how, and let me just say this, you know, it's okay. He doesn't mind. He gives us grace to ask him questions, but it's okay to ask him questions but you might want to stop short of challenging him because you don't, you, you, you're in a, it's, it's, it's not a fair fight. There was an old uh, statement in a play, and the statement says it was a young man in, the, in, the scene, in, in, the, in this play. His character was, was angry at God. And so to admonish him, the woman said, young man, young man, your arms are too short to box with God. So here's what's happening. They're trying to box with God. So Jesus is now getting ready to shut him down. So in verse 30, he asks him a question. He says, well, well, what authority was John's baptism? Now, they're fearful because everyone believed that John was from God and that what he was doing was from God. So then they're kind of wondering how they say, they say among themselves, well, if, if we say that it's not of God, the people will be upset. So they say, well, we don't know. Now, here's the thing. Here's what the word of God says. For fear of the people, because all believed. That John was from God. So they were trying to put on a display in front of the people that they would disperse Jesus because they had just praised him as he came in. Then Jesus goes on and he gives them a parable, starting in verse 1 of chapter 12. He gives them a parable of a wicked vine dresser. Now, they're already mad. He tells a parable about them and they finally realize it and they become even more angry. So Jesus is stirring the pot, if you will. We're going to get this battle on. If you come in here to box, let's get it on, right? So then he lets them know that they are, it's clear to them that, they, that he's talking to them. So he lets them know that he takes exception to how they're functioning. Verse 13, we find, so it starts out, it's the high priest, the, I'm sorry, the chief priest, uh, some of the elders, and the, the leaders that have come against him. So then they say, you know what, we're going to send the Pharisees over there. Y'all go deal with him. So the Pharisees step in, And then they they pose this question. They say, Jesus, is it lawful to give taxes to Caesar? So Jesus then shuts them down. He says, render unto Caesar those things that belong to Caesar, but render unto God those things that that belong to God. So that happens later in chapter 12. And Jesus' answer you can find in, in verse 17. So then the Sadducees jump in there. Now, you need to understand, they don't believe in the resurrection, but they pose him a resurrection question. They say, Jesus, and they tell a story. They say, there was a man among us who died? Who who married a woman, and before they could have children, he died. Now Moses said that his brother should rise up, and have children unto him. And so, but he dies, and then they go on and say all the way up to seven brothers have her. They said, now, in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Jesus shuts that down by saying, that. Do you not know that in the resurrection they will not be marrying or given in marriage? So he shuts them down. So then he does something while in the process of shutting them down that I think is so necessary for us to highlight. Because he he knows that if they, in their case, if they come against Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then that's going to be a problem as well. So he, so he says, well, you know, does, does he not say that I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He says, do you know that he's not the God of the dead? He's the God of the... So he then shuts down their argument about no resurrection because he said, if I'm still their God, they must be a time in which they'll be resurrected. So now we have, we come to where we are in the text. So among those that have come is a scribe. Now understand the scribes are considered to be the experts of the law. So he comes up and he poses a question. And he says, it's my shot now. He says, I got him. He says, "Uh, Jesus, which of the commandments is the first? And Jesus responds and says, the very first commandment is first and foremost. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Now, I want to help you understand, this is is back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and so what's happening is, they've come out of Egypt, and they're coming out of Egypt at a time that it is believed around, at that that time, that Egypt had, the Egyptians had as many as 25 different gods. Now, understand, they're all coming into this relationship with God through Moses, with all these ideas about many different gods. And so he establishes there's one God. And I want to pause there just for a moment. It is important for us to make make note of our responsibility to make sure we are teaching our children and grandchildren that there is just one God. Because they are in one of the most diverse times religiously in all of the American's history, America's history. So it's important for us to understand, for us to help them understand. So God is doing the same for his children. He says, listen, there's no other gods. It's just one. Then Jesus goes on to say, and you should love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Then he goes on to say that this is the first, but the second is just like it. Now notice they didn't ask for. The question was not about what's the first and the second. They simply asked for which is first. But Jesus, understanding that he has to establish something that is distinctive here, he says, and the second one is just like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because Jesus throughout his earthly ministry was establishing through his performance of miracles, his preaching and teaching and all the wonders he did. He was establishing this sense that his father had a purpose of creating a special people that will be set apart for his special purposes. So as he's doing this, notice again, he, he, they ask for one. What's the first? He adds the second because he, he's understanding that they must know that the two go together. If you're going to love God, you're going to have to love people. And I need, you to, I need you to understand something because some of us don't do people. We'll say it. I don't do them. And the problem is, as we understand who we are as the church, the called out ones, the set apart, those who have been called out and set apart, the ecclesia, if we understand who we are, then we understand that we are the called out ones. See, the world only likes its own. But God is looking for people who will love people. Those whom they prefer and those whom they don't prefer. So last week we asserted that there are five distinguishable purposes for which this special people should be striving to accomplish and that that special people's name was Christ's church. So we exist with these purposes in mind because these purposes give us our marching orders to help us to understand what we should be striving to pursue each and every day. So this week, we pick that up. And we're going to consider two of those five purposes. Because our sermon title is Loving God, which we will describe or define as worship, and loving people, which we'll define as ministry. Amen? So, those five purposes, in case you forgot them, they are worship, fellowship, evangelism, discipleship, and ministry. They're not in this specific order, but certainly worship is first because the reality of everyone's existence is that all of humanity exists in this earth, and we exist as creations of God. So let's be clear on this because oftentimes we say things that are not biblically accurate. We'll say to people, we're all God's children, and that's not true. As human beings, we're all a part of God's creation. We only become children of God through Jesus Christ. Here's what John said. He says, now are we sons of God. When? After we've come into the knowledge of Christ. So we're not all God's children. We're all God's creation. So let's move on. Now, in the text, if you go back and let's, look, let's go back and look at verse number 30, Mark 12 and 30. He says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. That's your, your emotions. The soul is the seat of your emotions. Notice we, were, we can get emotional when we start thinking about God and who he is. Amen. With all of your mind, your thoughts ought to be on him. And with all your strength. That's your resource. Your time, your talent, your treasure. He says, God is looking for us to worship him and to honor him with all that we have. Then verse 31, he says, and the second is like this. You should love your neighbor as yourself. And so worship, loving God. Ministry is loving others. So now, as he looks here, they again, they only ask for, what's the first one? But Jesus knowing that God's plan does not just include my effort to know him, it includes my effort to help others to know him. Because here's the thing, loving your neighbor as yourself is you recognizing that if you were in darkness and didn't know it, you would want somebody to turn the light on for you. Loving your neighbor as you also love yourself. I want to say this, and then I'm going to back it up. It's a bold statement, but it's a true biblical statement, and that is this. Worship and ministry are loving God and loving others is the foundation of all that God has done, is doing, and will do. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We start with these two because it is the foundation of everything that God has always done, all that he is doing now, and all that he will do. And we take this from Matthew, Matthew chapter 22, verse 40. Write it down. You don't have to turn there, but just write it down and get it in your notes. Matthew 22, verse 40. Here's what Jesus said. Here's how Matthew describes what Jesus said. He says, on these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. He says, these two, loving God, loving others. He says, all that God has been doing, what he wrote down to help give us instruction and how he's used his vessels over the years, all of that has been based upon these two things. He says, hey, hang on it. You know, I'm in the closet, and so, uh, and I realized that the, the rack, they didn't use good screws. Anyone that's handy, you know, you can't just grab just you got to get something that can really dig into the wood and hold on. Right. So I'm there and I begin to put clothes on. And I see it starting to separate, which tells me that it is not strong enough for what I'm hanging on it to hold. So I had to make sure that I reinforced it because what's going to hang on it is going to need something that's sure enough to hold it up. Here's what God says. He said, when you love God with all your heart and love people with a sincere heart, everything else you're doing will hang on that. And it will be a sure. Foundation. That you won't be able to do a, You won't be able to do enough to pull it apart. Whatever else you hang on it, if you hang it on the sure foundation, it'll hold up. Which guides me to the first point. They say, man, Pastor, you've been talking now for 12 minutes. and You just not get to your first point? That's because I'm going to make them quickly and move on. (laughs) First point today. First things must be first. It's just simple. The first priority should be in our lives that we love God with all of our heart. As, as Brother Lede said earlier, he said, you know, we overuse the term all because all should put us in that space where we say, I don't even know how to describe what I feel. But that is a pursuit of God in such a way that the psalmist says, I'm seeking your face. I want to be in space with you but that that when I finally see all that you are, it awes me. Because Jesus says, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul, that everything, every part of you is striving every day to love God more. Because loving God is not just something that happens. It's something that you have to be intentional about, right. because the word worship comes from an old English word, which mean, which really should be said, or stated as worthship. Worthship, because worship means to ascribe worth to something. So we, if God is saying, I want you to worship me, then you have to then intentionally ascribe some worth to who he is and what he is to you. So our worship ascribes worth to God. That's why worship is not the same as praise. Praise is about us being thankful for what God has done for us. Worship is ascribing worth to God simply for who he is. Here's the thing. God the Father is seeking true worshipers. He's looking for them because we understand Jesus helps us to see this in his exchange with the woman at the well. John chapter 4, verse 22 through 24, Jesus says to the woman, he asks her for a drink. And she says, well, sir, you know, the Jews don't have anything to do with us. They go through this exchange. And he says that if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for some water. He would say, but he wasn't talking about physical water. He was talking about spiritual water, the the Holy Spirit. Here's what it says. He says, you worship, key, in verse 22. He says, you all worship, you, Samaritans, you worship what you do not know. But we worship what we know for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Now, the reason the Father is seeking those to worship him, because the Psalms tell us in Psalm 150, verse 7, that everything that has breath praise the Lord. He says, let everything that has breath, praise the Lord, praise you the Lord. That means everything that is breathing has the capacity to praise the Lord. So here's what happened the other day. So little George has uh, had uh, two little hamsters. And, you know, sorry, we lost, we, uh, sadly, we lost one this week. So we had to have our little time of grieving, of losing one. But, but I went in one morning, Outside the sadness, I'm going back to when there were better times and they were both alive and one was sleeping and one was awake. I go in, Brother Terry, and one of the little hamsters is up like this. And what he's doing, I have no idea. But it came to me because I saw him breathing. The Bible says that everything that has breath can praise the Lord. Maybe the hamster's praising God. He doesn't know it, but he's he's got his hands lifted. And he's breathing. So I'm thinking maybe he's praising him. But here's the thing. He may be praising him, but not knowing it. Worship requires knowledge because it is relational. He said those that Father is seeking is for those who worship him in spirit and in truth because he's looking for true worshipers. I want to clarify something because we have a term that's that's very common and I I want to juxtapose these two. Idolizing versus worship. There is a difference. There's a difference. Now It's not easily seen because I'm gonna read the definition of both and you'll find some of the same terms are used to describe both. To idolize, to admire, revere, love greatly, or excessively. Here's the definition of worship. To, to, To the feeling of expressing of reverence and adoration for a deity to pay divine uh, honors to, to reverence with supreme respect. So there are some that we have who we idol. Now, I ask you this to do, uh, do this with me. You don't have to yell it out, but just get in mind, who is your favorite famous person? Maybe may be an athlete, it may be, an actress, an actor, maybe someone that you, you'll go to bat for them. Maybe your favorite actor that if they, they, they may be in a bad movie, but you, make, you somehow find a good spin on it. It wasn't so bad. Well, it was bad, but they did a good job. So we idolize them, Right? There, are those I remember that the uh, there was a, a campaign that says like Mike when Michael Jordan was famous. If I could just be like Mike, and there at one point there was some. Uh, I remember one particular commercial where Spike Lee, who as you know is not not like Mike in a lot of ways, but <laughs> so he's he's in on it too. So when we see this, we understand that the, that the that the mantra is that there is some someone who is idled or idolized. But you can idolize someone or adore them or adore them, admire them without truly knowing them. The difference is you cannot worship God unless you know him and know him personally. So that's why Jesus said, You must worship him in spirit and in truth. Because here's here's the reality. Right before Jesus gets to, to that point of stating that, he says, if you would, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water. Referring to the Holy Spirit. Paul clears it up and says that only those who have the spirit of Christ belong to him. You can only have the Holy Spirit if you've been born again. So when he says you must worship him in spirit and truth, he's talking about those who come into relationship with him, with God through Christ Jesus, have his spirit in them. Those are the true worshipers. Because they then worship out of relationship and not just admiration. They admire God because they realize who he is as they come into relationship with him. So the relational nature of worship is important. Let me me rush along. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. Anyone that's gone through marriage uh, advisement, you've been here, you've, you've studied this. Hopefully the pastor led you through these passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, talking about love. Love is not selfish. It's not puffed up. It, it looks out for the other. We've all that. But, but here's something I want, I want you to see. Paul says in verse one and two, he says, though I can speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love. I become sounding brass. I'm just making noise, just clanking symbols. Verse two says, and though I have the gift of prophecies, hear this now and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have not love, it profits me nothing, I am nothing. You might say, wait a minute. Now, how can it be that somebody could do all these speak in tongues, have the gift of tongues and prophesying and not be born again? How is that possible? Jesus gives us the context In Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to read it for you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23. Here's what he says. He says, many will say to me in that day, what day? The day that Jesus comes back, the day of reckoning. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? and done many wonders in your name. That's verse 22, right? Here's what Jesus says in verse 23. And I would declare to them, I never knew you. Read the list. Prophesying in his name, casting out demons in his name, doing many wonders in his name. He says, not that we had relationship and we got out of fellowship. He says, I have never known you. The difference between idolizing and worshiping is that you got to know him. And not that you just know him, but that he knows. My cousin traveled to Las Vegas some years ago, and he saw Shaquille O'Neal, one of his favorite uh, basketball players, who he idolized. He ran up and said, Shaq, what's up, Shaq, Shaq, Shaq? Shaq said, what's up, man? (laughs) But I don't know you. Why? Because he knows about Shaq. But Shaq does not know him. Which is why it says the Father is seeking true worshipers. Not for you to be able to put on a big display, but that you truly have his spirit and in fellowship with him. Point number two, I'm almost done. First and second are synonymous. So we, I said to you, that the scribe asked him for first. By asking for first, then there has to be a second. So Jesus says that the two are synonymous. Because one of the things that God wants all of us to, uh, to recognize, if we're going to truly love God, we're going to have to also truly love others. Amen. And I'm not talking about, hey, sis, how you been doing? Ah, uh, How's your mom? Your son, how's he doing in college? Is he okay? Oh, great. No. Truly caring about others. Because here's one thing that happens sometimes. We may sign up to serve in our church, but we don't serve with joy and love. Oh, they want us to be there at 7.30. And please don't let it go over 15 minutes. What time are we going to be done? Because here's the reality. When we're serving God, we're serving others because what we're doing as a part of the body, it helps support the work of the body. So the second and first are synonymous. In that same 13th chapter, in verse number 3 of 1 Corinthians, here's what Paul says. And though I bestow, hear, hear this now, bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, if I'm not doing it out of love, it profits me nothing. You can come and give and do and you can be a part of this and I'm helping out over here and, and you know, I'm, and can sit around and tell all your friends all the things you do for your church. But that's about you. Because he said you can do all those things but if you're not doing it out of love. For loving, out of love for God and a love for others because when you love, when you are serving out of these two loves, You're going to give it your best. It's not going to be based upon who showed up and who didn't show up. Well, if she would have been here, it would have been easy for all of us. But the reality is God's saying, will you go? Here's the last point. What I just described is being close to the kingdom but I want you to say, I want you to understand, being close is not enough. Being close is not enough. Being close to the kingdom is not enough because many times we just want to love God, but we don't want to deal with people. Give me something to do in ministry where I don't have to deal with nobody. Can I help you? No. No, 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 no. I got it. Because that's being close. In Mark chapter 12, the very next verse, look what Jesus says. Verse 34, he says, now when Jesus saw that the scribe answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom. The scribe says, yes, you you said right, Jesus, that man should love God with all his heart, love his neighbor as himself. These are right. Right. He acknowledged, he said, hey, I I get that, I get it. But Jesus says, you're close, but you're not there. What I want you to understand is that if if we're going to love God, we're going to need to love others. Turn, if you would, last verse for the day, 1 John chapter 4. I want you to turn here. John chapter 4, verse 20, 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. Here we go. If if someone says, I love you, Jesus, I worship you, I love you, God. If someone says, I love you and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from God that he who loves God must love his brothers. Now, I know, I know, I know. I know we got some canes in here. <laughs> I know we got some canes up in here. Canes and canettes. <laughs> You're like, well, who is my, who is my brother? Who's my neighbor? Am I my neighbor's keeper? As my, am I my brother's keeper? because oftentimes when, when we come face to face with face to face with what God is desiring we're going to feel resistant initially until we submit eventually you're going to feel resistant initially until you submit eventually my final note for the day all that we do In relationship with service to God should flow out of our deep love for him and our committed love for others. That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us or receive these and other sermon notes. Visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.